Welcome, everybody, to episode 164 of the Original Draft Breakdown podcast. I'm your host, Justin Higdon. Seth Cox is out this week. He's on vacation. It is, uh, we're taping on a Monday, and it's happy birthday to Seth's beautiful wife, Elise. So sitting in for Seth this week is our good friend, Ian Wharton, who is at, on Twitter, at NFL Film Study. Ian was a frequent guest of the show back when we were with the old Draft Breakdown site. So, Ian, it's great to have you back. Thanks for filling in this week. I really appreciate it. Man, it's my pleasure. It's been way too long, but uh, always checking on you guys every week and um, super excited to be here, man. Like, miss you guys. It's been really cool just hearing you guys reconnect over the last year or so and um, always around a great project. Uh, great product so thanks for having me on thank you and we appreciate you and uh we'll we'll uh catch up with all the things that you're involved in toward the end of the show but first let's we got to recap uh week one this was the real full week of college football the real first full week we had week zero seth and i talked a little bit about that so tonight we're going to recap um some of the big matchups that happened in week one we're going to preview some of the quote-unquote big matchups of week two that the, that was kind of hard to find um, and then, of course, we'll have a hot take to wrap things up. Uh, let's start with my Ohio State Buckeyes with a big win over Notre Dame. It was uh, only 21 to 10, the final score. They didn't cover the spread like I thought they would. Um, and they didn't score as many points like I thought they would either. Uh, this was a game Notre Dame tried to play keep away and keep Ohio State's offense off the field. They were pretty successful for a while in doing that. but. Ultimately, Ohio State's defense just locked them completely down on uh, locked their offense down. Ohio State big performance for Ohio State's defense uh, to not give up any points in the second half, and it that was something that we came into the season needing to see from this team. I think to be a playoff contender, their defense was lackluster. They've got a new DC and and Jim Knowles, and it looks the early results look to be successful, albeit with a new quarterback for Notre Dame um, and, you know, some other new parts at the skill positions. But uh, I think this is a good win for Ohio State. Again, they didn't cover. I thought they they were going to, but what did you think, Ian? Yeah, it, I think it was too, because defensively, I think that's where the big concern was, right? Like you mentioned Knowles coming in. Um, Ohio State's been in this weird position where, you know, they're losing recruits in future years too. And so like, that's been a bit of a concern. So like, this is kind of like a make or break moment already in this season, which is kind of crazy to say like week one, but like they needed to show out, they needed to play and they just needed to win, like to lose this game with everyone in the house. They had five-star guys there. Like this was such a big game just for like the program's health for future years. And this year, this was a nice win, especially to come back from a really rough offensive first half. Like Ryan Day just got too pass happy. Um, I thought T.J. Stroud struggled with uh, overcoming Julian Fleming being out, Jackson Smith and Jigma being hurt. Not that he doesn't have a ton of receiving talent to work with, but like those things really mattered. And they couldn't get the running game going until they finally like committed to it in the second half. And and especially with Notre Dame, like I thought they did a, a really nice job of taking advantage of opportunities when they could. First play of the game, 54-yard gain. Uh, their scoring drive uh, in the second quarter when they got the touchdown, they had a crazy bobbling catch. And then like a, basically like a one handed uh, 
backside catch by the tight end down the middle of the field. Like those were plays that you have to make to win in these type of games, like as an upset, as a road team with a young offense uh, based around a quarterback that hadn't played before. Like they were making those plays. Everything was in place there for them to win this as an upset. And Ohio State did a good job of recovering in the second half. So uh, they didn't cover. I I probably thought they were going to cover. I definitely wouldn't have expected 21-10. I thought this would either be a blowout or it'd be like that Oregon game last year. And I kind of thought it was going to go almost the way of the Oregon game after that first drive, just because Ohio State's defense was, you know, they ended up recovering. But great performance by Mike Hall uh, as a young guy, as a defensive end. Uh, defensive lineman to come in and, and make an impact right away. I thought the secondary recovered pretty well after slipping up early. And uh, Ohio State, it, I, you saw the talent, right? Like defensively, if they're going to be that team defensively all season, this is going to be a crazy good team. Um, to not even be fully gelled, to still have those mistakes and to still kind of suffer on a couple plays that, that didn't go their way, to limit Notre Dame to 10 points, I thought was super impressive. Yeah, they made a switch after that first uh, big play. At, at uh, They made a switch at safety. They put Lathan Ransom in there, and he played most of the game there. And that made, seemed to make a difference. And then um, Tommy Eichenberg, man, he's a fourth-year junior. They list him on Ohio State's roster as fourth year. You know, the COVID uh, crazy class listings are tough to keep track of. But Eichenberg's in his fourth year. Uh, he was a redshirt sophomore last year, so we're calling him a redshirt junior for these purposes. But uh, first two sacks of his career, he had nine tackles. The last time we saw him play, he had 17 tackles against Utah. So it seems like Eichenberg's a big part of what they want to do on defense. And uh, like you said, the defensive line played well too, opening up those opportunities for the play. The big thing coming out of this game is the Jackson Smith and Jigba injury. He might miss a couple games now, but this is the, you know, you never want a guy with that star power to miss any games for you. But if he misses this part of the schedule, that's probably the best case, you know, the best possible time for him to miss some games. He's got a minor hamstring issue. Day said he hopes that Smith and Jigba can play this weekend. But I would probably bet that he won't. I think that they're facing Arkansas State at home this weekend. I think they're going to – Emeka Egbuka played great in uh, reserve duty, and I think they're going to stick with you know, Harrison Jr., Egbuka, and maybe hope that Fleming can play this week. Yeah, there's just no reason to rush him back. Like He's a proven commodity. They have so many talented young receivers. It's, it's honestly the best excuse to get those young guys more experience. Because Smith and Jigman's just, I mean, him and Stroud, and it it stunk because it hurt Ohio State in this game to not have that connection. But you mentioned, like, Obuka is so talented. Harrison, people are saying that he might be the best receiver on the team. Like, so they have so many, you know, riches. Xavier Johnson, I thought, obviously only had two catches, but thought he played well. Obviously won his one-on-one matchup. Yeah, like, that changed the game. It was, I think it was a blown coverage. I don't think... I feel like Notre Dame didn't mean to cover or to call a a two safety blitz on third down. (laughs) Like that's, they were both like (laughs) eight yards away from the line of scrimmage by the time the ball was snapped. So it was a horrible, horrible execution. I think that was supposed to be a a safety. One of the safeties was supposed to stay up high, but. um, But he really ran a nice route on that play and got his his coverage real turn, really turned around. He did. And if that was the play call, the cornerback should have been expecting a post. So doing a really nice job, good ball placement. Um, it was just 
it's exactly what you expect in a CJ Stroud in this offense. Like pre-snap, Stroud usually wins, and uh, just did a great job of executing on that. But I, I, if I'm if I'm Ohio State, you play Wisconsin in Week Four, and that's really your next big game. Everything that kind of happens in between there, I think it's just an excuse to get these young guys some playing time, especially Fleming. Like I think seeing Fle- what Fleming can do would be a huge boost um, for this offense. Yeah, and he's just been banged up his whole career. So we hope we, he can get on the field. He's a junior now. We hope uh, to finally see him get on the field because he was a really highly touted receiver in that class. Um, we've talked enough about Ohio State. I mean, was it that was two versus five. So, I mean, that was the biggest matchup of the weekend, of the first week. But we got uh, a big upset, I guess, at least as far as the pollsters were confer- were concerned, um, because you had number seven Utah getting knocked off by unranked Florida. It, I didn't feel like that was a big upset. It, it, I think Florida maybe should have been ranked preseason, and Utah was maybe a little bit overhyped. But um, Utah's veteran team, a really good head coach, um, really successful program in the Pac-12 over the years. But the big story there is Anthony Richardson. Uh, didn't you know necessarily dazzle with his passing, although he threw a few like really bullets into tight coverage. But also rushed for over 100 yards, three rushing touchdowns. The traits, traits, traits when we talk about quarterbacks. And this guy's huge. He's got a cannon arm. And he can run. He's got great athleticism. It, that defenses have to account for. Is that enough to pencil him into the top five? Because we already saw that he was blessed by big draft in the way too early mocks. Now we've got a 2022 game under the belt, and it's against a respected Utah program. Are we comfortable penciling him into the top five in next year's class? Yeah, it's it seems a little crazy, but. In just those instances that we've seen, those little snapshot games, you know, as our friend Emery Hunt would say, like, you don't want to count it twice with him. And it's so easy to because you already know of the arm talent. You already know of the rushing ability. But his ability, like, I think it was on that two-point conversion. Uh, or maybe it was on, like, a yeah, I think it was. When he took the hit and he was midair and he still rolled out and got outside of that pocket, like, you just see these breathtaking moments of athleticism. That's just like, wow, that's Cam Newton. Wow. That's uh, Josh Allen esque like these super freaks at quarterback. And it's, I think it's very easy to see the pathway for him to become the number one guy. And it's just because CJ Stroud isn't that athlete. He doesn't have that arm. Uh, Anthony Richardson's going to be standing next to Bryce Young, who we think is around <laughs> Five, five nine, ten, five, five ten. Yeah, yeah, I mean five. He's, he's somewhere in that range, and you're gonna watch those two throw next to each other, and it's just not similar. Bryce Young's a heck of a quarterback, but he can't do what Anthony Richardson can do, and that's sometimes as easy as it gets at quarterback. Like you're talking about, the New York Giants might be in the top five picks. Brian Dayball just coached Josh Allen, so, so I think right. with our scouting. A lot of people do a lot of amazing things with their scouting. Sometimes it's as simple as this dude is a once in a few years type of athlete. He seems like a very, very bright kid. He's super likable. Like everything I've seen about him is just charisma through the roof. He's going to win where it matters. So I think right now, and and look, 
we may be six games into the season after this and he might just be playing terribly. Like, and I hope he's not yeah. because he's really fun. But I think right now where we stand, I think so. Like it's hard to look at him and say, well, who's better than him, at least as far as upside. And that's really where we kind of have to evaluate this is once he has a year and a, and a full year starting in Florida, plus an NFL training camp, a whole off season, like it's easy to see three, four, five years down, down the line, him really, potentially getting to like the ceiling that just no one else in, in the sport right now has. Uh, and again, that could change over the course of a month, two months, but this is a heck of a debut for him. Yeah. You know, I, one of the, my criticisms coming in was that he turned the ball over too much relative to how much he played last year. We didn't see a turnover this week from him, which is a really good start. Um, but I, I think I have to, you know, I have to get, overcome my own skepticism as I'm often a natural skeptic when it comes to things like this. But um, I have to understand that that myself as a person who tries to evaluate these players, I tend to like guys like Richardson a lot. And um, Josh Allen was the player that came to mind. And Allen, my, my critiques of Allen were that he was just, you know, so kind of loose the way he played he he uh his physical attributes were were evident but you know he had that five interception game uh the year before he came out against Nebraska he he's played poorly against every power five team but we're going to see Richardson actually playing in an SEC schedule very soon so that's going to be hard for you know if he plays well in conference this year it's going to be hard to deny uh, where he belongs. And we talked about Malik Willis last year. And I I was a fan of him as my quarterback one because of his physical attributes. Although I couched that by my top quarterback not having a first round grade last year. He was my top quarterback, but I had a day two grade on him. Um, it's going to be different if Richardson performs well in the SEC. I value that. I think that's important. Uh, you're facing NFL, future NFL defensive players week in and week out and uh, that's not always happening at liberty so uh, i'm not i'm not putting him in the top five of the draft right now but yeah you're right when he's going to be compared to stroud who i think starts the season as the top quarterback uh, prospect in the draft and bryce young who's had a great week we'll talk more about him in a few minutes um but is a, a small guy uh yeah it's going to be there are going to be scouts automatically they're going to put richardson as the quarterback one uh Georgia just absolutely obliterated Oregon playing their uh old defensive coordinator Dan Lanning coaching Oregon in the, his first game as a head coach and uh Bo Nix got the start for Oregon we weren't 100% sure he, that was going to happen but we were pretty sure and it is what happened and Bo Nix played it pretty much the whole game and had two picks it didn't go well uh Bulldogs roll 49 to 3 and the interesting thing that I, I I wasn't surprised that Georgia rolled Oregon in week one, uh, but the one takeaway that I thought was interesting was Kenny McIntosh, who Seth and I talked about as one of the uh, NFS top 25 players, a running back. He caught the football nine times for 117 yards. So it seems like immediately filling in that the James Cook role from last year and even maybe being targeted more than Cook ever was. Um, big day for Stetson Bennett, who I think 
just turned 25 or is about to. But it doesn't matter. Georgia picks up where they left off. And what can you say about this team? I mean, honestly, I'm surprised they're not number two over Ohio State at this point. Yeah, I was shocked. I, I wouldn't be su- I would say that I wouldn't be surprised if they moved them, but Ohio State just beat the number five team. <laughs> you know, that's kind of like that's the, the thing. thing but... Yeah, I think I think yeah. the top three is going to stay the same. But um, and again, we're taping this on a Monday before the new polls have come out. But um, that's what well, Oregon was eleventh. Yeah, I mean Georgia just. I mean they were like you said dominant. I mean there's no doubt about it. Like just from the jump, just oh, it's it's what you would have expected last year, and they just simply you know, move the next guy in into the rotation and just a, a really great performance by that Malachi Starks stealing a show true freshman in his first game with a, an interception that like, you don't see half the NFL making like over the shoulder, like diving backwards catch, like just insane, insane versatility, insane depth uh, throughout their roster. I was impressed. I'm not a Stetson Bennett fan, like not only just from like a draft perspective, but even last year, like I just thought he was, kind of one of those other SEC quarterbacks, you know, that have won a national championship and has just been kind of just a guy, but he played really like well. Like Greg McElroy or a, uh, AJ McCarron. Yeah. AJ McCarron. Like, right. Exactly. I don't like think he was McElroy won guys. a championship, did he? I don't I think they got close, but I don't think they did. Right. Um, but yeah, Kenny McIntosh was impressive. Lad McConkey with maybe like <laughs> one of the top four names in college football this year. Um, and and he, our listeners might not know that he his father Phil McConkey played in the NFL. I mean, they, I'm sure they mentioned it on the broadcast, but most I would say most of our listeners are too young to have seen Phil McConkey play. By much, the way, anyway, most hype of the week, Darnell Washington, <laughs> two catches, 33 yards, and he stole the show. You have people talking about him as the next Gronk. I mean, and, the catch that he made where he, he's in the open, he, this guy's 6'7", 270, he blocks like an offensive lineman, and then the one catch that he made, I think out, out to the flat, but he turns the corner upfield and hurdles a guy without even breaking stride. That, that's like something you saw Derrick Henry do in, in college and in high school, except this guy's three inches taller and, uh, you know, 20 or 30 pounds heavier. It's phenomenal. I mean, and yeah. Brock Bowers... Is their big headliner uh, tight end, but he's not draft eligible. Washington is, and he hasn't been used as a receiver as much as Bowers, but man, that was a hell of a play. Yeah, I mean, he's got, I think he has like 350 career receiving yards. <laughs> like, I, I just <laughs> so can't wait to utilized. I, I can't wait to watch this guy. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, Washington was super impressive. Kenny McIntosh was impressive. Again, another guy just like stuck in the rotation. Uh, 753 uh, career rushing yards entering this season, 356 career receiving yards uh, entering this season. So he's a senior. Um, it'll be interesting to see because these guys are set up for success. Like in this receiving role, there's a lot of these backs. How many backs have we scouted throughout the years that they just don't get passes thrown to them? And we have no idea what they can do on third downs or if they can catch out of the backfield. And so it's a really yeah. great opportunity for him, especially in this class. Like, Every He's back have from Wisconsin a... is like that, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, none of them have hands. They just don't. They literally just don't have hands. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so it's nice to prove that we do have Kenny McIntosh with hands on record. Um, but he was really impressive too, especially against Oregon. Like Oregon was probably a little overrated, especially with like Bo Nix. I mean, it, he's. We knew that very... wasn't going to end well, right? Yeah. Right. Like I, I know pregame, and they're doing their best. Like 
David Pollock was saying something like, oh, you've got Bo Nix, you know, coming out of the SEC. Yeah, he might not be the greatest guy, but he's not going to be, you know, uh, he's, he's not going to be flustered when he gets out there. It's like, no, he will, because Oregon just doesn't have what it takes to compete this game. And that's okay. Like, he's just not that amazing of a talent, and their team just can't compete. So, rough game overall for Oregon, but it, it was those little moments where, like, McIntosh just really played well in his little role. Uh, Washington played extremely well in his role. So, hopefully, we can see those guys. I want to see McIntosh, the rusher, get more of an opportunity. Um, five carries for 18 yards. So not a great opportunity there. But overall, great performance for uh, for Georgia. I think it's really telling that Bennett threw for like over 360 yards. And like you said, they didn't run the running backs that much. It was like they knew exactly how to attack Lanning, which I think you kind of expect from Kirby Smart at this point. He's now shown he's one of the top coaches in, in college football. And uh, he just, you know, pantsed his former colleague and just seemed to know exactly what to do to attack his defense and his personnel. So um, I hope there's no bad blood between those two guys, but Lanning has to feel kind of embarrassed. And, and it's, it's, it's got to be tough as a first-time head coach, your first games against your old team, the defending national champs, and you just get stomped like that. It's... It's got to stink for him, um, but I, I think a lot of people have doubts about that hire. I'm one of them. I had doubts about the hire to begin with, and uh, it doesn't look any better today than it did in the offseason. It looks worse, frankly, uh, and that's unfortunate. Um, I got to mention uh, defensive back Christopher Smith for Georgia. He is a fifth-year senior, and he played a really, really strong game for the Bulldogs on Saturday, too. Um, we saw Arkansas beat Cincinnati. Cincinnati, of course, was a, the first group of five playoff team in the uh, 14 playoff era. And we knew that since he was going to have a rough go of it, this was a tough matchup for them because they they lost their quarterback. They, their defensive coordinator uh, had moved on. And it, it's just one of those situations where that's where the group of five talent base and the power five talent base you can tell the difference and arkansas not even being a top tier sec team but a team that i think is on the rise they just out muscled them and uh since he didn't have enough firepower to keep up my question though is kj jefferson being overlooked as a prospect so far because this is a player uh he's he's had some big games over the last couple of years he's a redshirt junior and he is able to um, produce with his arm and with his feet. And he's missing Traylon Burks. Traylon Burks has moved on to the NFL. And that was his go-to guy. But uh, K.J. Jefferson still got the job done big time against Cincinnati, a, a team, like I said, had been in the playoffs a year ago. I think so. I mean, just look at a quick numbers, like not even looking at the impressive like physical skill set that he has like completed 67 percent of passes last year 2600 yards 9.1 average 21 touchdowns only four picks so we talked about richardson right like this is in uh jefferson's first season really significantly as a starter he avoided right. those turnovers and richardson you know and that's what you know he, he had his, uh, richardson has many picks versus yeah. five touchdowns in you know in, in fewer uh games uh Jefferson very much protected the ball last year. 
Yeah, and only 27 sacks, too. And you know, it, like watching him is weird. It's almost like watching a little bit of like Dak Prescott um, earlier in his career oh, I in like college. That. I like that. Yeah, like he has a funky usage. It's a mm-hmm. non-traditional usage, but he's got this like bulky set frame. And just like a, he's got a pro's body and he's always had a pro body and it's super impressive. And he's just not used in a traditional way. Like if he would, if he would be coached by, you know, maybe like a, a what's a, what's LSU's news coach name? Uh, Kelly. Like if you Kelly, had like, yeah. yeah. But if you had like Brian Kelly, like coaching him, he'd look, he might look totally different. But so I think Jefferson is a bit of a project like that. Like you kind of got to get him into the, uh, cause I rewatched this game. I watched it live and, I was watching like a couple of the other ones that rewatched it earlier today. And um, he was, he was really impressive. Like he's just efficient with the ball. He's really smart with the ball. And I love that in an offense that is really easy to not look good in because it does ask more difficult throws of you because sometimes it's just vertical throws. And like, it's not, that's not necessarily easy. It's not super right. translatable all the time, but like he could easily be completing 55% of his passes and have boomer bust weeks every other week. So really nice week for him. And he's a great rushing threat. He carried the ball 18 times for 62 yards, got a touchdown. Uh, not a whole lot of else was working there. Raheem Sanders had a nice game uh, on the ground. But but Arkansas really controlled this game, and Jefferson is kind of the guy that keeps them on track to win when they should, which I think is a lot for that type of program because they're so prone to, I think, dropping down to their competition. It's nice to see them have a quarterback that consistently keeps them playing well. You're right. And and Sam Pittman, their head coach, he just has a, a personality that seems to get, you know, his guys behind him. And Jefferson seems to be the guy, the right guy for the moment to guide them. You know, I don't think this this is not going to be a playoff team, of course, but what you have, you mentioned Cam Newton when you were talking about Richardson. When you talk about the athletic upside ceiling that's probably more apt but Jefferson's usage kind of mirrors what Auburn did with uh with Gene Chizik as a head coach when they won that fluky national championship not quite but you could just envision like Urban Meyer uh back in the day at Florida with a guy like KJ Jefferson and he's a better passer you know than Tebow was and and yeah, but he's that fullback type of quarterback too, where you can put uh put the run game on his back too. And when you talk about his rushing yards, he's erasing some of the sacks that he's taken too. You mentioned twenty seven sacks last year. I think he took a couple sacks Saturday, but he was able to erase those with his uh positive rushing plays. So that's something that's a bonus at the college level, and it's going to be a bonus to him at the NFL level. I think he's just being a bit overlooked right now. Um, I have to imagine at least he's a day two prospect with the potential I mean, to maybe move up. Yeah, I mean, look at guys who usually go round three, round four. You know, it, I'd probably rather have him over Desmond Ritter, like for example. Like, there's right. a lot more to work with there than Ritter, and so. And I know well, like he's he was, got an NFL body and Ritter does not. Right. Not right now. Yeah. Yeah. And we've seen Ritter. I mean, I know he got some positive reviews in preseason, but like he also like has some really major issues with his game too. Like there's a reason why yeah. he fell. So yeah, it, it just has to be the right staff. This, the right staff that has a little bit of time and they're not going to put too much on his plate 
early on. And you just want to highlight, it's just like Trey Lance, right? Like I'm not saying he is Trey Lance, but it's going to be a similar situation where you're just going to ease him in, play to his strengths. And then over time, you increase the workload. And hopefully he develops the little finer points of, a, of his game. And by the way, side note, shout out to J, uh, J. Don Hazelwood, former, right. like, I think he was like number one or number two receiver for Oklahoma a couple of years ago coming out of high school. Had a nice game, three catches, 42 yards, a touchdown. He, when he's played, he's looked explosive as a really nice big receiver target. So it'd be kind of fun to see him in this offense this year. I would love to see Hazelwood uh, develop into the type of, of uh, role that, that they gave Burks. I'm not sure that he's going to get that, that type of uh, usage, but um, if he can at least be there, be kind of a go-to outside receiver going fo- forward, that's going to be big for them. And since he is not a slouch team, we saw this now. This is a tough, like I said, this was a tough matchup for them week one, considering all they've lost. And they hung in in this game. So I think Cincinnati's going to have another strong year. Uh, definitely not a playoff year, but another good one. Let's get on to the week two preview. And I promised earlier that we would talk more about Bryce Young. Alabama is playing at Texas, but they are still 19 and a half point favorites as of the taping of this show. A little light work for Bryce Young. Didn't even pass 200 yards, but threw five touchdowns and ran for 100 and a touchdown in their walkthrough last weekend. Uh, Bama wisely uh, choosing a warm-up game, and now they have this game, which is going to be a high-profile game at Texas. Do you like how, – how much do you like Bryce Young as a quarterback prospect? Yeah, I, I like him. I, I was actually a little bit surprised how much more ahead I had Stroud over Young uh, after I looked at these guys over the summer. Um, I charted all their throws, kind of looked at you know their performance situationally, and, and Young is a good player, but I just think that there are – he has a little bit uh, – some issues with leading receivers into the right spot. I think he's more of a – see it, throw it kind of quarterback. And he's got some examples of not doing that too. Um, but we saw this like two at Tunga Baloa too, where sometimes it's just too easy. And when things get a little bit tougher, you start to see some of the limitations, some of the physical limitations. I think you start to see um, some of the creativity there. I mean, he did a great job rushing last week, but he's going to kind of hang into the pocket because he knows one of his guys is going to come open. And I think that he's got to kind of get away from that. He got has to kind of create outside the pocket a little bit better. Has to be a little bit more efficient outside the pocket. Um, when he's really tested, and we don't see it often. Like that's the problem. Is like you only get like these fleeting moments to draw these big conclusions from. Um, but you see these like moments where he's a little bit paralyzed. Um, I think because he is in a coddled situation, and he hasn't really gotten used to having to overcome that. And so I don't know that he has the tools to really get a lot better either. I think he's good. And if he doesn't win pre-snap, then he's probably not going to be great on that play. He's not going to overcome maybe some of those things going wrong that some of these other guys that we talk about can do. So he's a high floor player. I just don't know that he's like, would I take his teammate Will Anderson over him? Most likely. Yeah, and like I think that might be one of those draft. This might be one of those draft classes where it's like you not only have to be a good quarterback, but you have to be a really good quarterback because there's other um, 
passers at the top of the class, but then also there's like a dominant defensive force. And I just don't know that I look at young and say, like, I know for sure that guy's going to be a franchise quarterback. Like he's not, he's not Kyler Murray with his explosiveness. He's not that type of passer and he's not that kind of rusher. And so I try to keep that in mind whenever I look at these guys to like pass number one picks to say like, does he have the skill set? Does he have like the, the ability to compensate for when things go wrong? Like recent guys in the past who found NFL success. He's not as good in the pocket as like a Joe Burrow and he's not as explosive outside the pocket as a Kyler Murray. So I, I just think he kind of feels like the, he feel, he falls into this weird space where it could be maybe like a, you know, Ryan Tannehill. And I'm not saying like he plays like him, but like kind of like this average Baker Mayfield, like kind of area where he has some really good moments, but he's going to constantly deal with those, uh, those weaknesses that he just can't overcome. Yeah. I think it was big for him to show that he could run the ball like that because, uh, and that's been something I've critiqued both young and Stroud on over the past year or so. Uh, you, you can tell both of these guys have athleticism to take off and run if they need to, but they don't. And I know that's probably how they're being coached. So nice to see the training wheels off Bryce Young this week where he rushes for 100 yards. He had negative 23 rushing yards in his career before that game. So last year, 81 attempts, zero yards. So, you know, we know sacks factor into that. But it's still very unusual for a guy with his athleticism to have zero rushing yards on the season. We saw them kind of let him run a little bit more toward the end of the year last year. But I think that's something that's going to be big for both Young and Stroud this year to show that they can take off and run and that they're willing to do that. And that's something, um, yeah, I don't think Bryce Young is Kyler Murray in terms of athleticism. But I also think he's more athletic than uh, Baker Mayfield or, you know, Tannehill's kind of a good comp when it comes to just like speed, because I think he's probably more of that speed than he is Kyler Murray, who's like probably four, high four, three, four, four guy. Um, But he's faster than Tua, Young's faster than Tua and Baker and and Matt Corral and, and how and some of these guys that have come out in the last few years. So uh, he's probably in the four fives, four sixes, probably four fives, if I had to guess, looking at him. But um, I, I think that was kind of a big thing to, to see that. And we'll see how he's able to run the ball as the season goes on against better competition. One of the interesting things in this matchup is you have a big kind of marquee running back matchup. Jameer Gibbs, who was on that NFS top 25 list, that's uh, the scouting service that a lot of NFL teams use, and Albert Brewer leaked that. Seth and I have talked about that. Bijan Robinson was not on that top 25 list, but these are the two running backs kind of in a head-to-head matchup. Gibbs, Robinson, do you have a preference? Do you think they're both good? How, how do you feel about that? Uh, yeah, I like them both. Um, it's hard not to. Uh, it was kind of fun to see uh, Gibbs play behind Alabama's offensive line. I think that's going to be great to see this week too. Just kind of transitioning from from his previous situation to obviously such a such a great situation at Alabama, where like it feels like any back 
could really have success and, and they generally do. But to me, Robinson, it's funny that he wasn't ranked as high by NFS because it seems like, you know, Twitter, you know, a lot of folks on there, myself included, like Robinson has been like the bell of the ball since he's gotten to Texas. And I think it's totally deserved. Like he's big, he's fast, he's rugged, uh, can make dudes miss, runs through people, falls forward constantly. I think he has pretty good vision, can really do it all. Like he's a good pass catcher. Like his list of weaknesses to me is very small. And I kind of entered the year thinking like, okay, we're going to have another first round back. Like this guy's probably going to go top 10, top 15. Uh, if the right team is there and it, I think it's pretty justified. Like I'm not generally huge on first round running backs, but he fits the bill of what you would do as a first round, what you take as a first round running back. Um, this is a big game for him. Gibbs. He's, I, I worry a little bit cause he seems, he plays a little small. Um, I think sometimes and his speed is he so is, great. He, he is a little small. Yeah. Like I think they uh, have him at like five eleven two two hundred. I think two hundred, two hundred five is where I've seen. Yeah, you know, yeah, he's that super that, small. He's bigger than James Cook, but he's not. You know, he's not the same size as uh, these other early round running backs that we've seen that have been dominant when they've come into the league. Najee Harris, Jonathan Taylor, um, Zeke, those type of guys. Yeah, and I, I think that that lack of bulk, at that lack of density, I think is going to what what is what hurts him when it comes to the draft process, when it comes to, he has to show that he can play big. And, and some of that just means pad level for him. Like you just have to be the low man and you have to win like, uh, like, you know, Alvin Kamara, the way that he right. won with his insane contact balance. He's shown, and he, he balked gives up quite a bit. He balked up quite a bit. He did. Yeah. And, and those are, yeah. those are the margins where like, I think Gibbs has to hit. And I think he, he's an explosive talent, but like we're talking, of a really, really good running back class. Um, so we're going to be splitting those hairs. But as a receiver, oh, my goodness, like he's so explosive. Like you get him into space or you get him a little bit of runway. He's so fun. So for me, it's a Robinson over Gibbs just because I just like those complete big backs. Like I love Derrick Henry coming out. I loved um, Jonathan Taylor coming out. These are they, they checked every box physically. And I like these smaller guys, too. Um, but I just think that we've seen a lot of those guys start to fall um, into day two, later day two, and they're they're and they end up being super subs or kind of in a platoon role where like they're like almost like Antonio Gibson, where and I know that he's kind of struggled in his own ways, but like when he first came out, he was this versatile weapon who could be Christian McCaffrey part two, except for like ninety five percent of Christian McCaffrey, and then like you get into his career and it's like oh like that matters like that 5% matters. Uh, so you're not him. And so I, I think that's the question with mm -hmm. Gibbs is can he handle that full-time role um, in the NFL? And I think for the right team, you probably can. It's just, it's working to find the right fit as opposed to like Robinson, you can drop him in pretty much any situation and he's going to be a stud. And Gibson's an interesting one because he is a bigger guy, but he, he was a receiver at at uh, Memphis, you know, more of a receiver than a running back and and so you had that transition. So that's why I think they they bring in um, you know, Brian Robinson, you know, who's injured right now, but I think they want him to take more of the carries and have more of a timeshare there. You have uh what I think of with Gibbs is like Travis Etienne and um 
where he is still going to be ceding a lot of carries to James Robinson there in Jacksonville. So even though he was a first-round pick, I know it's a different coaching staff, but they still are high on ETN. They just don't, they're not going to give him 25 touches a game. And Gibbs is going to be a, a player like that. He's not going to, he's not going to get the Jonathan Taylor touches, the Najee Harris touches. Uh, he's not big enough. But like you said, it, it's, we knew this was going to be a great move for Bama to get, to get Jameer Gibbs in a transfer portal. They've been masterful in their use of the portal over the last few years. I'm with you. I prefer Bijan Robinson as a prospect. I think he's more that prototype. Um, and I think he's, you know, I would say he's more likely to be a first round draft pick at running back than any of these other backs we've talked about so far. But I've been wrong about that before. Um, Bama, 19.5 point favorites over Texas. Do you have a pick for us? I would take Alabama on the points. It's just hard because, especially. For Steve Sarkeesian, he still hasn't had like a full run of recruits. Mm-hmm. Like to, to compete with Alabama, you have to win in the trenches. I think there's only like three or four teams in the country that even stand a chance, just like recruit wise, to do that. Um, not necessarily any given Saturday, but like 95% of Saturdays. Uh, Texas isn't there yet. Quinn Ewers, I liked what he showed in his first start. I'm super yeah, interested nice in debut. him. Yeah, nice debut. Yeah. Yeah, like he's a really, really fun talent. Um, I cannot wait to see what he produces throughout his career. Uh, but I just think this team is young. Like Texas is such a young team. And it, I think it hurts playing Nick Saban when you're the former coordinator of Nick Saban. Like, <laughs> kind of the landing uh, Kirby yep. Smart situation like I talked about, except probably not quite as bad. But I'm yeah. with you. I'll take Bama to cover yeah. that one. Kentucky, yeah. Florida. Game, we've talked. Yeah, Kentucky, Florida, we talked a lot about uh, Richardson. And now this is a matchup of hyped quarterbacks because Kentucky's got Will Levis. Kentucky's traveling to the swamp. This is the biggest one-on-one quarterback matchup, right? That we've, and it's early, it's only week two. But unless we get like a Stroud-Bryce Young playoff game, we're not going to see a bigger quarterback matchup of hyped quarterbacks than this for a while. So Florida comes in, as I said, they were unranked and beat the seventh ranked uh, Utes. Now they're a five point favorite at home against Kentucky. So people start to maybe the odds makers buying into Billy Napier, there, buying into Anthony Richardson. Um, First of all, do you like Levis as much as the pundits seem to? He's fun. He's obviously the arm talent stood out like immediately as when, soon as you watch it. When you say fun, do you mean because he puts mayonnaise in his coffee and eats banana <laughs> oh. peels or because he's good? Uh, it's a mixture of both. <laughs> he's a he's a funky dude. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's a super, like a super interesting dude and um but he's fun because, yes, for those reasons. Um, but but he's kind of like that traditional uh, power thrower quarterback who, you know, you only get to see a couple of good throws from him a game just because of the offense. And he just reminds me of a guy to like the 90s that you would see, come, like, or even, you know, maybe like mid-2000s coming out as a prospect. 
and he's kind of a bit of a throwback like that. So he he just he throws everything as a fastball. Um, we saw it last week again where he just puts so much. It's it's funny like Malik Willis got like shredded for this, but then Levis like we don't really hear the same concern as much. Like he's projected top ten, but um, so I, I think they have very similar issues with their velocity control, but. He has a great arm, and so if you can harness it, if you can get it under control, if you can get him to take some of that off when he needs to, then the arm talent's there. He's you know kind of mobile. He's used to turning his back to a defense. You know, so he checks some of the boxes. Um, I don't know that I'm like top ten high on him. I think he needs one of those like great seasons to kind of reach that top end of the first round. Otherwise, he might be in that weird range of a draft prospect where it's like maybe late first, like mid-second, and that's kind of a tough spot to be in for any prospect uh, at quarterback because you don't know if you're how much time you're going to get. Um, but this is a big game. You're right. Like I don't see another game on the this calendar all season where it's going to be this type of game. There's going to be a lot of stock put in this game, and that might not be fair. Uh, but he's got to control this ball, his velocity because he was rifling passes in throughout week one, and it's like, oh, man, like if you could just take off like 20% of that pass, that would have been completed. But he's – He's full bore, all arm into every throw. Well, to paraphrase uh, Clint Eastwood from uh, one of my favorite Westerns, Unforgiven, fair's got nothing to do with it. Uh, you're right. This might not be fair, but I'm proof positive that the people that are hyping Levis are going to continue to do so regardless of what happens in this game because that's kind of the trend that we've seen. My problem with Levis over the, the – during well, I saw him at Penn State which I'm sure you recall where he was the guy they put in to run at quarterback when they were losing to Ohio state. Uh, And then I saw him last year throw 70% of his passes at or behind the line of scrimmage and then turn the ball over through 13 picks. So I'm not sold on him. I agree. He's a character and I agree that he's got a physical skill set that's appealing. uh, But I need to see more out of him. I think it's a good matchup. I, I, I'm excited to see this game because I think Kentucky's got a good program now. And, uh, you know, we obviously know them as a basketball school. So they've got a shot to pull up the upset. I'm going to take Florida in this game, though, to, to win. And what the heck, I'll take them to cover, too. Uh, I like what they did against the Utes. But Kentucky can make this interesting. And... um Levis is definitely a player who, if he wasn't, get, you know, if my one of my big problems with quarterbacks like that is he's going to be 24 in June. And I'm very consistent with this. I don't like the overage quarterback prospect in the first round. It's just something that I've seen over the years. It's not successful. I think I don't like betting on outliers early, as you know. and. Uh, that's really one of my my big issues here. So uh, I like Richardson in Florida to cover the spread here. Yeah, and I'd be worried about that number swelling um, too much over the weeks. I do think public really likes Florida, and for good reason. I think they're a good value at four and a half, five. If you can get them at that, um, this Florida team's probably better than just what anybody thought, and that's props to Billy Napier. And yeah, and I, I think you know, they've been better. I think it's just yeah. that you know they needed the right coach in place, and Napier, um, he, you have to like what you see out of his first game. Yeah, it's so easy to look back at like the end of someone's tenure at what Dan Mullen did, and just be like, "Oh, this team's not good." 
It's like, no, they were just, everyone knew it was coming down like halfway through the yeah. season. So it just, no one cared. And um, remember what Mullen did at Mississippi state with, with the talent that he had. It's not that he's a bad coach. It's just, it's just some programs are just too big for the moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and Napier seems to be a guy who he's been on the upswing and, and, uh, he had his first test was against a seventh ranked team in the nation. And whether you agree that Utah was that good or not, it's still a huge win. It is in, in, in like a direct comparison, some, and like, or like a correlation here is like Mullen picked the wrong quarterback. It took him too long to get to the right quarterback. And Napier inherited the right quarterback potentially. Like it's not as simple as that, but in some ways it was, they had a quarterback right. who took care of the ball. Whereas Mullen couldn't get that out of Richardson, he controlled the, the game on the ground with the you know with passing efficiency as well. So like all these issues that Mullen had, now don't they didn't exist week one. So if that happens again, Florida's going to rip off nine wins potentially or more this season just because they're not suffering from the same mistakes that a bad we've seen so many bad quarterbacks ruin runs from head coaches and it just came at like the wrong time for uh, with Emory Jones like that just fell apart. And uh, that, and that sometimes it's as simple as that. Like you mentioned, Mullen's a heck of a coach. It just, just wasn't at Florida. Right. Um, I'm going to skip ahead to, and, and do this one first. I know it's not uh, in the right order that we talked about earlier, but I want, I want to talk about real quickly, the Iowa state, Iowa uh, in-state rivalry game that's coming up. Iowa's four point favorite. Iowa won seven to three against uh an fcs team and they did that with not with a touchdown but two safeties and a field goal never seen anything like it the punter was the player of the game for iowa uh you look to the other side iowa state had receiver xavier hutchinson go for eight catches 128 yards and three touchdowns in a win over an fcs team so you have quite a contrast there. Iowa State gets a blowout win. Iowa gets a narrow win, but Iowa's favored by four. Who do you like in this game and why? Oh, that Iowa game is maybe the ugliest game I've ever seen. I couldn't believe it. Um, and so are they playing looking, rope-a-dope? I mean, are they they holding something back? <laughs> that was terrible. Great. Oh, and then like they'll somehow do it like eight more times this year and win like nine games. It's right, they'll they'll contend crazy. for the West uh, uh, <laughs> title somehow, and uh, and contend for a Big Ten championship berth. It's crazy. So last year's matchup, Iowa won twenty seven seventeen. Hutchinson's really fun. He's had some huge games uh, throughout his career. Last year he had uh, three game, four games over a hundred yards, but he usually come, like produces in bunches. It either all comes at once or it doesn't. Um, last year against Iowa, it didn't. Three catches, 22 yards was his worst game of the year, um, easily. And so Iowa just has this way of stepping up in these games. Uh, obviously, Tyler Goodson, not going to be a big part of this because he's not there. Brees Hall's not there, obviously. So it's kind of a weird matchup. I like, I actually like Iowa State. It's just, I just have a hard time with Iowa because, and I usually lose money on Iowa because I'm just such a skeptic of like their, their, their ability to pull these games out. I've just never seen right. anything like it. It doesn't and then make they sense. win and they, and they screw you. Yeah. And they have a way of covering in like the weirdest ways possible. Yeah. And 
Um, this is a, obviously this is such an I'm uh, quite sure they game. didn't cover last last week. No, no, <laughs> they, I, I, I don't think they definitely have the under. Uh, right. <laughs> but uh, but this will be. I, I won't say it'll be a fun game. It'll be an interesting game just from a standpoint of if it's a rivalry game. Sometimes these games end up being like 34-31, and it makes no sense because neither of these teams uh, really should be scoring like that. But I like Iowa State just in the sense of, like, I don't like Iowa's ability to score. Like, their quarterback seemed like he was throwing ducks whenever he had, he stepped back, and I know he's a young guy, um, so he has a long way to go. You know, if you know Petrus can get, I don't know, 200 yards passing, that would be a huge, he completed 44% passes against uh, the Jackrabbits. So it's just tough for me to be super optimistic about him. So brutal. Um, I do like their tight end, Sam Laporta. I love their cornerback, Riley Moss. Um, I confess, I don't know. I know he's coming off a knee injury. I think he played last week, uh, but I don't know. I'm pretty sure he's healthy. I'm with you. I like Iowa State in this game. Uh, it doesn't seem like this is an Iowa year. It seems like this is like a seven and five type of Iowa year, you know, something like that. They're not going to, I think they've got a, a tough road because I think Wisconsin, I think Purdue, maybe Northwestern, those schools are going to be better in that Western division than Iowa this year. Um, this is the, as of now, as of the taping of this show, the only game between teams ranked in the top 25. Is Baylor at BYU? Um, Baylor really, uh, their interior D line is their strength. They've got transfer uh, from Tulsa Jackson player, and they've got Gabe Hall. They they combined for two tackles for loss and a sack last week. BYU's got twenty five year old in March Jaron Hall. Uh, he's another overage quarterback prospect. But they have Cal transfer running back Christopher Brooks, who filled in for uh, where Tyler Algier stepped out. Brooks rushed for 13 carries, 135 yards and a touchdown in his BYU debut. BYU's got left tackle. Uh, Blake Freeland, uh, he's being touted as one of the top O-line prospects. BYU's favored in this game by three and a half against the defending Big 12 champs. Now, um, BYU is going to be joining the Big 12 soon, right? So this is a, a future rivalry game. Who do you have in this game? Yeah, this is this is almost like strength versus strength. Uh, so this will be fun. Uh, Brooks was really impressive last week. Ball is impressive too. I, I'm with you though, like the age. When I first saw him, uh, I think it was early last year. It was you know arm strength first thing that jumped off. It's like wow, yeah. like this guy, especially coming from like Zach Wilson, who has a strong arm. I still felt like Jaron Hall had a better arm. Uh, but then you look at the age, and it's like, ah, oh, that's really, really tough for any prospect right. to get on board with him. He's going to probably be like a day three guy. Um, you talk about the arm, though. I think Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl, I think he said the guy they thought of when they saw Hall was Russell Wilson. Yeah, I mean, I he yeah, I, you can see it, right? Like, the frame is similar. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a fun Super point. high praise, obviously. It is. And, you know, Willie B. Wilson, you know, probably not. But like you can see that archetype for sure. He's yeah. a supercharged kind of like build and you, it's surprisingly good arm strength. So he's an accurate guy. This will be this is a battle of efficiency, really, because both of these teams run really, really well. 
um, efficiency wise on both sides of the ball. I'm just interested here to see like the, the, the trench play. Like you said, mm-hmm. like both teams have really standout players inside the trenches. The playmakers and, will either but thrive. BYU, or, but Baylor's are undersized, you know, Hall yeah. player. They're like 290, 280, short guys. Like, can they stand? Blake Freeland is like 6'8, 320. Like, he's a huge guy. And he's not one of these typical BYU guys who's who's 25 because he went on a Mormon mission. Like he's a true uh, underclassman. I think he came in in 2019. I think he's a redshirt junior. So he's an actual like normal aged prospect coming out of BYU. Yeah. And I think, I think that's why you're seeing BYU um, favored in this one. And and they're Mm -hmm. getting a lot of the money their direction too. Um, And I think that makes sense. It just, they have, they have the experience, like you said. They have the size. Size always matters in these games. Um, some would tell you that it matters in a lot of things, but it definitely <laughs> would matter in this type of matchup. This is a and, family and, show, sir. Of course, of course, <laughs> well, of course. He's talking about on the field, but you know, Baylor's been super impressive. Like I've been blown away by their program, like their ability to to eke out these games last year that I they just didn't seem like they would have had a chance and otherwise. Um, Shapin played well in his first game. It was another guy that was efficiency like off the off the charts. Reese, uh, the running back, Richard Reese is it seems like a fun talent too. But uh, everything checks the boxes for BYU because they win in the trenches, and everything becomes so much easier because of that. That's why these quarterbacks look so good. That's why the running backs you can just plug and play. It's not that they're they are talented players, but like they're having pretty pretty good big runways to to run the ball and and, and get upfield. So this should be a really great game. I think this will be probably one of the best games of the week. Um, I would also lean toward BYU. I, I might take Baylor with the points, but I like BYU to win. Yeah, and this is going to be a late, late game for uh, you folks on the East Coast. I think it's like 10, 15, uh, 10, 30 Eastern time, somewhere in that range. Let's go back to our show sheet. And, uh, Ian, we've got USC favored by nine on the road at Stanford. In the past, this has kind of been a trap game for USC, but there's a new sheriff in town. We got Lincoln Riley, of course, a smoked rice in his debut. Um, we saw Caleb Williams looked great. Uh, Jordan Addison scored two touchdowns, making great use of that transfer portal. Both these teams are coming off easy tune-ups. I'm going to go to uh, Stanford's quarterback, Tanner McKee. Some people really like him. Is he, how good is he? Yeah, PFF ranked him ahead of, I think, every other draft eligible uh, Pac-12 player uh, on really? the board. Yeah, wow. so and very high praise for like a super, super sophomore or something like that? Yeah, he's 22 because like, yeah. um, he did a two-year LDS mission. Um, in high school, he survived cancer at 16. So like he's, wow, he's incredible. yeah, he, really, really interesting story. Um, he, every, he's kind of like, it's funny. He's a lot like his predecessor in the sense of he checks all the physical boxes like Davis Mills, six, six. That's, that's Davis Mills, right? Yep. Who's, you know, looking like a good value for Houston. I mean, who knows yep. what happens this right. year, but like he was a nice value. Uh, he's efficient. Like McKee is efficient. He everything kind of checks the boxes statistically. You watch him. He has a good arm. He's mobile, fairly mobile. He has good footwork. Like he's 
mechanically pure, which is kind of what you would hope from Stanford because of the, the style of their offense. And you're just kind of looking for things that I don't know that that offense are going to produce consistently like explosive plays. It's not really his fault that they don't produce a lot of explosive passing plays. Like it's just difficult for them because they don't have a lot of, they have some playmakers this year. Like, but is that going to translate against USC? I, I don't know because USC is, they really looked good in their first game. Like that's, that's the USC that we would expect. And that's what we would expect out of Lincoln Riley's team where they play up to their athleticism and they're just kind of running all over the the field, whoever they're playing against. So this is a tough matchup. I think this is one of those games that's going to carry the narrative for McKee throughout the season because Stanford is going to be out-athleted in pretty much across the board. And Stanford's going to grind this one out. They're going to make it uncomfortable. And it's what I'm fascinated to see is how much of an impact does that have against like a Lincoln Riley team because we didn't get to see it a lot when he was at Oklahoma and USC is like you said, always kind of fell victim to these games. And it was so obvious that it was happening with the previous staff that like you could just bet on it like pretty consistently. Um, Addison is super impressive though. Caleb Williams, very, very impressive. Austin Jones had a big game uh, with a couple of touchdowns too. This to me is going to be uncomfortable. I do think just based off of one week, I kind of put faith into USC, but I think McKee is, He's going to be the most polarizing guy, I think, in this class, if or whenever he declares, like whenever he's going to, because it's hard to evaluate his place in an offense that's very restrictive around him in a time where all these other quarterbacks are just kind of like allowed to roam free and just show off all their talents. He's not really that guy. Yeah. Nine isn't is like an uncomfortable amount of points for me for some reason to take USC in this game just because of the history between these two teams even though I think Lincoln Riley could take the talent on this team to another level um I've I've been really high on Jordan Addison and really surprised that other people were not so high on him including NFS and to see you know obviously the injury impacted Smith and Jigba for Ohio State, only two catches. To see Kayshawn Boutte only have two catches for LSU, and those two guys combine for four, and Addison just slips in and casually catches five and two touchdowns in his USC debut. In a, you know, granted, in a walkthrough against Rice, but, um, yeah, I loved what he put together. He looks like he's, again, the go-to guy uh, picks up right where he left off as a Bolitnikoff winner. Um, I, I I do the cop-out thing with Seth every time, too, so I wouldn't bet on this game. I don't like that line. <laughs> I just <laughs> I wouldn't touch this, um, even yeah. though I think USC is the better team. It's You're going on the road. Um, Riley, as good as he is, he's in a new conference, and not every player on that team is some guy that he hadn't picked. He doesn't. He didn't get every uh, quality transfer portal player to come in and, and and step in to their role. So USC still has some shortcomings on that team, and this is going to be a tougher matchup than by far than they had last year. I think Stanford's going to come to play, and David Shaw knows how to play. And you know, this is going to be one of those situations like Freeman did with Ohio State. He's like you said, he's going to play keep away, and he's going to going to try and control the ball. I think uh, it's Emmett Smith's son is the running back there at Stanford, right? E.J. Smith? 
Yeah. He had a good yep. first week, and I think they're that's kind of the route they're going to try and go. So I'm not touching this one. Um, if I yeah. had to bet, I would probably bet USC, but I would expect to lose money. Yeah, I, I'm leaning towards Stanford. A, a vast majority of money is coming in on USC, so I try to fade that whenever I'm not <laughs> sure in these games. Um, but I, it's uncomfortable. It's just one of those weird matchups because it's just, like you said, USC has not done well and, the, and they might win by seven they might win by 30 i, I don't I, they could yeah. lose by field goal it's it's really one of those it's really so super unpredictable weird games. yeah and, and i don't trust yeah. usc as a program um but addison going back to addison i am with you i think he's so impressive his he had that whip route for a touchdown for a touchdown for a guy his size to make that move um there's not many guys that move that well and they're usually very good starting nfl receivers so I think Addison is a guy that should be very high on draft boards. Um, and obviously we saw what he did with Kenny Pickett last year. Like there's, it wasn't a question whether he could play. Um, I'm surprised his value. And and that's kind of happens with the NFS list. Like I feel like they just overlook certain guys that seem pretty obvious. Um, every year I feel, feel like there's guys that they're just too low on, but, uh, and it kind of evens out as the season goes on, but this should be a good matchup. It's a really great test for the high end talent of USC. So if nothing else, we should at least see like if they if Williams and Addison really show out, you're going to see USC, I think, just explode like this will be kind of like the hype game for them. And we can't even say it's because Addison's skinny because we had Devontae Smith go early. We've had Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave go early. Like he's he's not any skinnier or much skinnier than any of those guys. So I don't know why people don't like him. I, I don't think he's going to run. Four three, like um, you know, in the high four threes, like Olave and Wilson did. But we did uh, talk about how, like in his preseason training, he did hit like twenty three miles an hour on one of those uh, GPS things. So he is capable of running very fast. I don't know what the hangup is on Jordan Addison. Uh, I certainly don't have one at this point. I've seen the kind of the way the tide has turned on this and toward the receivers that have his build. And he certainly looked great uh, week one. We've got a hot take, Ian. And this is always one of the most fun parts of the show. And this hot take is about some current NFL players. as We always like to focus on draft eligible guys, but sometimes the hot takes take us to the NFL players and this is coming from a former NFL player offensive lineman Ryan Harris uh he said Justin Herbert is the best quarterback I've ever seen and I played with Peyton Manning and Ben Roethlisberger um to me I'm just going to preface this with saying like I've done a lot of fantasy drafts so far this year and Justin Herbert is very well thought of in uh, terms of ADP, average draft position, and fantasy football sites rankings. Uh, had a great year, obviously, last year. But this seems a little bit, actually a lot over the top. Yeah. You know, I like Herbert. I was wrong on Herbert, too. You know, I, I was, too. I, I mean... I think it's safe to say I had I thought he was more of a day two guy. Yeah. Um, he didn't show it. I back mean, to what we said about Richardson, like I, I should have, 
I should have respected the traits, but he just had such a bad, like disappointing senior year. Yeah. And he hadn't really shown this level ability except for as like a sophomore. Um, right. Something, something happened after that sophomore year. I think he might've gotten hurt even but like after that, he just was never like the same college player. And you know, it is what it is. He's really, really good. I'm with you. I'm seeing him drafted over Pat Mahomes. And only after um, uh, Josh Allen. And I'm just, I, I'm with you. I, he's, a, he's a really good talent. I, I think we need to see him do it in clutch moments. I think we need to see him, you know, kind of create a little bit more. He's, he's kind of like Josh Allen in the sense of, like, we assume that he's a big-arm quarterback that's always throwing downfield. But really, he's not. Like Josh Allen only threw, I think it was like through 6.3 yards per completion last year or something like that, or yards per attempt, 6.7, something like that. And Herbert was like surprisingly low too um, for their arm talent. And that's okay. Like you can run efficient offenses. That's fine. Uh, but they don't really play to their reputation. We kind of get hung up on those highlights. And I, so I just think we need to see it more consistently from Herbert. I think we kind of forget that he was part of the problem over the last month of last season, why that team didn't make the playoffs. Uh, so talent is definitely there. The physical gifts are all there. He's really, 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 really good. But the current standard of NFL elite talent is so high right now. I think, yeah, that, that that's definitely a hot take to say. Um, Herbert's great, but I don't know if he's that great yet. Let's see him I get mean, past some of these other AFC great quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, Peyton Manning is going to go down in history as one of the best quarterbacks of all time. I think uh, certainly Ben Roethlisberger, as a the Browns fan in me, doesn't want to admit it, but he's he's going to be a Hall of Famer as well. Yeah. And um, so you're you're christening uh, Justin Herbert here, and it's just one of those takes. I I love these takes because there's never going to be any accountability for this take if it doesn't pay off. And if it does, right. it's the type of, of take that you're going to be like, look, I'm uh, Nostradamus. Like, it's, it's so, <laughs> I mean, it's so wildly silly. Like, it, it's more like, uh, you know, if I was to compare Herbert to somebody at this point, it, it might be like Matthew Stafford. And I know that Herbert's had more success to this point in his career, but the game is so different than it was in 2009 anyway so it's it's so hard to compare uh from an era standpoint and but Stafford's it's fun still really we have... good like yeah he's he probably punched his ticket to the hall of fame with that super bowl win and maybe that's debatable but like mm-hmm. he's still really darn good and maybe herbert does get to roethlisberger or even better i think the talent's there sure but man so much changes in this league in a matter of like a year or two but- Herbert's probably better at this point in his career than Roethlisberger was. Yeah. Um, but it was so different when Roethlisberger was a rookie. Remember, when he was a rookie, they had a great season, um, but it was so heavy, run heavy and defense yeah. heavy. Like the Steelers were just a completely different organization. And now you have, um, you know, a coach who's, you know, more, you know, he's going to be, and Brandon Staley, he's more analytical. Twitter loves him. They, they love uh, the way he plays on fourth down and, and those, those types of things. But ultimately they still miss the playoffs. Like, and they kind of snatched 
uh, defeat from the jaws of victory in doing so. So that was disappointing. I I don't I don't want to hang that on Herbert again. I, he's far beyond what I thought he would be as a pro. Uh, but you know it's that's just such a when you mentioned I mean I would take Ben Roethlisberger out of it. You're mentioning him being better than Peyton Manning. <laughs> like that's a really tough sell for yeah. a lot of people for anybody yeah. almost. And just not even like comparable players. Like at least Roethlisberger yeah. kind of makes sense. Like they're bigger athletic dudes. Yeah, Roethlisberger yeah. went from like a game manager to someone who was leading this super aggressive downfield passing attack with, you know, a couple potential, you know, pro bowl, all pro, all pro type of receivers um, every year. Like what he did was super impressive in retrospect, you know, cause he would have fit in now. And if you, if you put in prime Roethlisberger in today's NFL, I mean, he would have been just even more fantastic. So yeah, I, I, I wish we wouldn't do these to these young guys because it's, it, it it's really hard the AFC alone has like six or seven guys that could legitimately be like the top one or two quarterbacks in the league any given year. Like people don't even talk about Lamar Jackson or they rank him at like nine know, or 10 in the NFL. And he was the it's best wild. player in the league two years ago. Like it's insane right. to talk about. And he, his skill set is so unique. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just really, uh, we're, we're in the age the social media certainly takes it to another level where you can just put these takes out there. Nobody would have seen this take, but now I saw it on Instagram. And so I had to talk about it. So Ian, thank you again for uh, stepping in for Seth this week. Please tell us where we can find your work because you're, you and I have been friends for a long time. Uh, you're, a great Twitter follow and a great uh, person to follow in terms of your writing and your film breakdowns and things like that. So tell us where we can find your stuff. Yeah, man. Thanks again for having me on. It's, it's been awesome. Um, obviously we've known each other for forever, um, but I'm at NFL film study on Twitter. Um, I'm at pro football network doing fantasy football and betting um, throughout the season. We're going to have a lot of great content um, for everybody. We've got a free discord as well for, Anyone that just wants to stop by and talk really anything football, um, got a great team over there. So definitely stop by. I unfortunately read every tweet. Um, I never log off as, as the kids say during the season. So, <laughs> so I try to share a lot of stuff and a lot of it's highlights and just poking fun at, at whatever's going on. But I try not to get banned either from posting highlights, but um but yeah, definitely swing by. We've got a ton of content coming out. We just published like 200 plus fantasy articles this past weekend. So um, anything that anyone wants to talk football, I'm always there at NFL Film Study. Thank you, sir. Good strategy, too. Um, my strategy, too, is never reply to tweets. Um, but I will reply to direct messages uh, if you follow me on Twitter. Uh, of course, I'm at AFC to NFC, but send all your complaints to Seth at SCOXFB. And please subscribe to us on Patreon too, where for two bucks a month, you can get our extra bonus episode. Seth and I will have that out later this week. And for four bucks a month, you can get our all of our content, bonus episodes, plus articles. Seth's doing a Who to Watch article every week. I'm doing my box score scouting every Monday, unless uh, otherwise notified. But 
Uh, we really try and keep up on that, and we're keep trying to keep you up to speed on all of the top NFL draft prospects for the 2023 class. Every week, we go way more in-depth than just this show. But if you just want to listen to this show, I also appreciate you greatly. Subscribe, give us a five-star review, and um, download us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Player.fm, and all of your favorite podcast apps. So thank you very much, everybody. Have a great week. If you're a Patreon, we will talk to you later in the week. Have a good one, and we'll see you next week on the iTunes. We need to do an outro at some point. Just something kind of... What I hear in other shows is where they're like, uh, you know, uh, subscribe and give us a five-star review. Sign up for our Patreon. It's $2 a month for our bonus episodes, $4 a month for all additional content. Something like that. Yeah, we should work on something like that. That could be it right there. A read, yeah. That's it. Exactly.